brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. Responses from various bishops and major Catholic news outlets to Francis's new synodal document are coming in fast, and some of them are to be expected. Some priests and public Catholics who absolutely love everything about Pastor Jimmy Martin of the Jesuit Church are practically prancing and dancing with glee at the document adopting the language and values of the sins they're so very focused on and the sins of the secular world, while others are expressing open hostility to the document, which is, frankly, in my mind, the right response. Let's today go over the text in brief again and the major media response to it, and then talk about the responses from two principal sources. Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, and an article published in a very measured, traditional-leaning Catholic news and commentary website that rips this document to shreds. Mainstream Catholic news outlets are pointing out the obvious with this document, that it does appear to call for the transformation and conversion of the Catholic Church, which has been called for by Francis for a few years now. From the National Catholic Register's article on this, quote, The highly anticipated text, referred to as the Instrumentum Laboris, or Working Tool, for the upcoming 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, signals the beginning of a new phase of the Catholic Church's multi-year synod on synodality. Drawing on listening sessions already conducted worldwide at the diocesan, national, and continental level, it covers such hot-button topics as women deacons, priestly celibacy, the outreach to the James Martin crowd, and highlights a desire for new institutional bodies to allow for greater participation in decision-making by the people of God. At the same time, some of the questions it frames for discussion allude to possible major changes in how the church operates around the world through the embrace of an open-ended quote-unquote synodal process that entails ongoing dialogue and discernment. The approach is so different, in fact, the document states, that new formation programs will be developed quote, at all levels of ecclesial life and for all the baptized. Adding that candidates for ordained ministry, quote, must be trained in a synodal style and mentality the text also outlines a, quote, synodal method of spiritually focused on listening to the Holy Spirit and, quote, discerning the signs of the times, end quote. That sounds to me like a document is calling for the transformation of the church into something new and for permanent, ongoing, never-ending revolution in the church, including mechanisms to prevent any counter-revolution from happening. Now, the document itself uses the word transformation to describe what the intended effect is on the church. Various otherwise measured mainstream Catholic media outlets are praising this document and highlighting its call for the radical inclusion of public unrepentant sinners, and it uses the language of the secular world to do this. This is what is being highlighted by mainstream, not opinion-based Catholic media. That should, of course, be concerning because it is signaling some institutional support that would otherwise be in the business of maybe helping foment some resistance to radical changes to the faith. Instead, it's signaling institutional support for said radical changes. The Instrumentum Laboris also uses the language of the secular world to categorize people who identify with their sins, marking the first time a formal church document does these things. Other topics for discussion include how the church should accompany people who are in multiple partner relationships, 
and the relationship between the church and the people in the world who choose to identify themselves in ways that run against the concrete physical reality imposed by the law of God and by the reality of the world. At least one bishop, though, isn't having any of this, and so we turn our attention to Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas, who took to Twitter and declared that he hoped the synod on synodality would fail. He actually said this, quote, It is a travesty that these things are even proposed for discussion. I pray that all who truly know Jesus Christ will not be deceived by this path. The gospel welcomes all to repentance and sanctity. If there is no repentance, the barriers to sanctity remain, end quote. Uh, this, of course, earned Bishop Strickland a great deal of pushback on Twitter, where suddenly every person becomes a warrior for fidelity to the truth, and the truth being a man himself, Francis the Great and Merciful. Bishop Strickland was accused of betraying Francis and told to resign by some people, while well, most actually thanked him for his willingness to tell the truth. The crux of the debate here is the concept of accompaniment, in which is one of the more tired concepts from Vatican II's Church of the New Advent. We are told that the church must accompany and dialogue with sinners, and in practice this has become the church rarely, if ever, calling people to repentance. The church just isn't in the repentance business anymore, so it seems. The synodal document is more of this, with dialogue and accompaniment with public, unrepentant sinners amplified to the point of absolute absurdity. Bishop Strickland had this to say in response to the, dem the demand of the document, quote, the Catholic Church has been radically inclusive of sinners ever since Jesus Christ founded her. There's nothing more radical than deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Christ died and rose so that we could share in his life, but following him begins with repentance. End quote. That is the perfect response to the demand that the Church embrace the identification with sin. That in love for the sinner, Jesus told them to deny themselves and their disordered desires and to pick up their crosses and follow him regardless of whatever the sin is. We're not talking about any one particular sin here. The church can't endorse sin. Full stop. Over at 1 Peter 5, Tim Flanders wrote an article calling the Synod on Synodality the schismatic way because the documents are part of a schismatic process of breaking the formal institutions of the church away from the faith. After all, throughout the entire synodal process, we have been repeatedly told that the church must convert, that the church must be transformed. The document itself calls for the transformation of the church. It does that, I, as I told you about in my video on this, this past Wednesday. Mr. Flanders describes this as the weaponization of Vatican II terminology by James Martin and his coterie of wicked revolutionaries as a, quote, radical call, which is to build together synodally an attractive and concrete church, an outgoing church in which all feel welcome, end quote. To think that the Catholic Church isn't attractive, isn't beautiful, isn't outgoing or welcoming, to all already is not only absurd, but blasphemous. But yet, we are constantly inundated with claims made by the internal enemies of the church that, in fact, the church is exclusionary in practice. In reality, the church excludes sin and offers the sanctifying grace of God through the sacraments and prayer and observance of the law of God to any human being who wants to free themselves from a life of sin through the sanctifying grace of God. But that is not what the enemies of the church actually want. They want the church to transform itself to fit their needs, and the mechanism for this is the census fidelium. The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines the census fidelium as, quote, the supernatural appreciation of faith on the part of the whole people. When from the bishops to the last of the faithful, they manifest a universal consent in matters of faith and morals, end quote. T putting aside for a moment the idea that there is no universal assent to anything in the faith anymore, 
In general, the census fidelium is supposed to be infallible. James Martin, Cardinal Hollerick, Cardinal Grish, and the ringleaders of this attempted revolution of the church want to co-opt the census fidelium through the use of the laity whom they wish to have rule the church. But it's not the laity as a whole, but their carefully selected laity. It's been noted many times that the laity who have high-profile positions in the synodal process to represent the voice of the laity all lean in one direction on the issues of the day. That's by design, folks. That's not an accident. As Tim Flanders notes in his article, quote, To its credit, the Instrumentum Laboris does say that, quote, It is the responsibility of the pastors to verify the relationship between the aspirations of their communities and the sacred deposit of the word of God entrusted to the church, a relationship that allows those aspirations to be considered a genuine expression of the people of God's sense of faith. Now, as an aside, he's quoting Dave Verabum, the, one of the key documents of Vatican II. So let's get the, let's actually, you know, join him here with the full quote from that document. And normally I don't advocate quoting Vatican II documents because they're all a hot mess. But in this case, it's a good idea because it becomes plain to see that the modernists are twisting the words of their own council's documents to further their agenda. Quote, Sacred tradition and sacred scripture form one sacred deposit of the word of God, committed to the church. Holding fast to this deposit, the entire holy people united with their shepherds remain always steadfast in the teaching of the apostles, in the common life, in the breaking of the bread, and in prayers. See Acts chapter 2 verse 42 in the Greek text. So that holding to, practicing, and professing the heritage of the faith, it becomes on the part of the bishops and faithful a single common effort. But the task of authentically interpreting the word of God, whether written or handed on, has been entrusted exclusively to the living teaching office of the church, whose authority is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This teaching office is not above the word of God, but serves it, teaching only what has been handed on, listening to it devoutly, guarding it scrupulously, and explaining it faithfully in accord with the divine commission and with the help of the Holy Spirit. It draws from this one deposit of faith everything which it presents for belief as divinely revealed. It is clear, therefore, that sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the teaching authority in the church, in accord with God's most wise design, are so linked and joined together that one cannot stand without the others, and that all together, and each in its own way, under the action of the one Holy Spirit, contribute effectively to the salvation of souls." and lengthy quote of a Vatican II document. In other words, in plain language, Catholics are called to be rigid. I know that's not a popular thing to say these days, but it's the truth. That's literally what the divine constitution of the church from Vatican II was calling for, rigidly clinging to the faith. The synodal documents call for all the baptized, not just Catholics, by the way, to be listened to, that the church must attentively listen to all the baptized because all the baptized are infallible. That is, as Mr. Flanders says in his article, the turning of a dogma of the faith into a heresy. The church has been clear throughout her history that for the faithful to be faithful, they must not live a life of sin. That the faithful to be faithful must be faithful. When a person is in a state of mortal sin, they are in fact dead to the faith. The Holy Spirit does not guide those who are dead to the faith. It does not guide those who are in a state of mortal sin. There is no sanctifying grace present in the person who is in a state of mortal sin. What we're seeing is men like Cardinal Hollerick and Cardinal Grish take the concepts of the census fidelium and their perceived need of the church to listen and accompany unrepentant public sinners who not only reject the teachings of the faith, but demand that those moral teachings 
be changed to fit how they want to live, and twist that call to listen and accompany, and then the census fidelium into an open call for the church to accept their sins. They want the church to get out of the business of telling certain people in the culture to stop sinning and carry their cross, which is what the church has always done, is told people to stop sinning and carry your cross. Instead, we're seeing an open call for the church to adopt the values of the world and practice. It's heretical and it's schismatic, and Tim Flanders is right to point out the obvious in much more forceful language than I am used to doing so here. But I'm curious what you think about this. Are you surprised that such pushback is coming from the synodal documents? Are you surprised that basically the only bishop who has spoken out against this so far is Bishop Strickland? I expect Archbishop Vigano to issue some kind of statement in the coming days if he hasn't already by the time this gets, video gets published. But what about the sudden push by very online modernists calling Bishop Strickland a betrayer of Francis the Great and Merciful? Are you surprised by that? Do you agree with Tim Flanders and others who call this document schismatic and heretical? I'm curious what you think about this, so let me know in the comments. Also, one final thought. Do you agree with me that this is essentially the sort of the written constitution for the ape of the church? Let me know what you think of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot too. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.